Well, good morning. Are you dry? That's good. That's a good thing. I'm uh, Trevor Oaks. I'm the student and teaching pastor. And uh, today we're diving into our, our series called Dwell. It's wrapped around this section of scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And we've asked you in the past to memorize this uh, verse of scripture because we think it's valuable and, and important. And Surprise! We are asking you to bind it to your heart and life once again. Uh, and so through the course of this uh, sermon series, our, our hope would be that you would sit down and, and truly do what uh, the title of this series is, is to dwell upon this scripture. To dwell, to ponder, to think, to fix your thoughts is the whole concept of where we're going to go with this series. And uh, when I was younger, I grew up in an extremely small town, and maybe you've uh, done that as well. I, I, I got to and from school the same way every day uh, I walked. I walked to school and from home the exact same way. I would cut through some yards, I would go up a block, and, and I would get to school. And one day I was walking home from school with one of my buddies, uh, and right where we got to this one uh, cross section in, in one of the backyards, there's this beautiful magnolia tree, and beside the tree is there's this stone bench. And he says, hey, have you ever heard the story about the bench? And I said, no. And he goes on to tell me about, well, there was this guy who burned to death here at this tree, and all the people around were seeing him, and they were saying, that man's on fire. And he became known as the fireman, and he haunts the area around this tree. Well, gotta go, see ya. And he leaves. And I'm like, <laughs> I was freaked out. And, uh, you know, admittedly, I will say this. I scare easily. I scare very easily. You know, I'm the kind of person who mutes uh, scary movie commercials. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I don't go to those kinds of movies because it doesn't take much to perk my imagination. I, I do just fine in that department. And so I don't need freaked out any. And that worked. And so from that moment on, as I crossed through that area, which if you recall was every day, twice a day, I was scared out of my mind. That gave me something for my mind to dwell upon. As I went by that tree, I remembered that story, I would think about it, and that would scare me. And so in a weird way, that's what Paul's trying to do with this section of Scripture. He wants you to think about, he wants something to perk your, your brain, to, to, to make you to dwell upon these verses, like it mentions in another section. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, Paul writes, we destroy every proud obstacle that prevents us from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to be obedient to Christ. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, for he is the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost. And we want you to capture your thoughts, to fix your mind, to always be calculating the, the cost of what we think about and how much that matters. We want you to dwell upon these truths that Paul lays out in this book, so much so that during this series, we're taking two words out of the verse for each week of our series. And we've been doing that so that you can literally dwell upon those words throughout the whole week. Last week, Daniel wanted us to be selective with what we dwell upon, to be selective with what we dwell upon. If it isn't factual, if it's not true, don't let it impact your heart and life. Don't let people's opinion about you or about whatever sway your heart and life. If it isn't bringing honor, don't do it. And so we're going to build upon that which is true and honorable this morning. We're going to read Philippians 4 verse 8. It's going to be up here on the screens. Will you read it together with me? Here we go. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. 
Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, on what is right and pure, lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. I would say that wasn't a great attempt by you all to read that with me, but that's okay. It's okay. Uh, this is our key text this morning. And if you saw there was some uh, words underlined there, that's what we're going to focus on this morning, on what is right, or as the Greek word translate, what's just. You could word, use the word justice. Next weekend, we have a run for justice, and the hope for that event is to raise some funds for kids who are in oppressive situations. And an oppressive situation, you could say, is one that's not just. It's not right. And it's happening all over the world. And so our hope is, is that you'll come out, you'll support that, you'll run for justice. We also want to look at this word pure, or without the taints of evil and sin. The Greek word helps us in this way that it translates it innocent. And so that word pure can mean innocence. And I think one of the simplest ways to kind of help us remember the definitions for these words is to think of their equal and opposite words. And so that which is right, its opposite would be wrong. You guys, you are really, you're getting, you're getting better. So that's good. Uh, it would be right. I mean, correct. It would be a true statement. If it's not wrong, uh, if it's wrong, it's not right. The opposite of pure would be impure, immoral, filthy, dirty. The opposite of innocent then would be guilty. And so uh, I want to do this exercise with you. I've done it in the past, but it it fits so well with this passage of scripture that I I just want to help us remember in this way. So uh, together with me, don't think about snakes. All right, so for the next little bit, whatever you do, don't think about snakes. And honestly, when I look at a snake, I think it has the potential to kill me. Every single snake, doesn't matter the size or whatever, its venom will kill me. And I know that's not true. I get that, but uh, just don't think about snakes. You know, some of them vibrant colors, those scare me, and uh, their slithering tongues, they they crawl on the baby. Are you thinking about snakes? Right, yeah, but don't, all right? So here's, here's rather, think about your favorite dessert, right? Now listen, I often get booze or harsh emails, but I'm not a big fan of dessert, and that's also not necessarily a true statement, but I don't crave it in such a way that I'm thinking, oh, I really like, I don't think about sweet things. But when I do, my wife's derby pie is amazing. Her derby pie is sensational, and she also makes these chocolate chip cookies that With a glass of milk, a warm chocolate chip cookie, they're uh, amazing. So you think about whatever it is that is your favorite kind of dessert, whether you go to a diner or grandma's house or wherever that is, are you thinking about snakes? No, no, you're not because you're now thinking about your favorite dessert. And so that's what Paul is trying to tell us. If you'll fix your thoughts on things that are true and honorable, things that are right and pure, lovely and admirable, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, it can actually work. It can actually flow through your actions and change the way that we respond. And, and I, you know, we don't want to think about the opposite of those things. And so what happens is we think, oh, here's this bad thought. It's a, a bad thought. I don't want to think about this, this thing, and yet that, it's, it's there. And so I shouldn't be thinking about that, but it's not going away. And now I'm thinking about it more and more, and, and the snake doesn't disappear, but the temptation is present there. But I shouldn't be thinking about this. And pretty soon we give in to that which what we do not want 
to do, we dive into the temptation that is impure or wrong, and that's not helpful. And so what Paul says is if you can actually curb the way you think, if you can change that, you can actually change the way you behave. Listen, God, God is the creator of all good things. He's the creator of everything. And so, you know, God is the one who thought up of sunsets and, and, and sunrises and that those colors would display a vivid picture for us to, to look at and enjoy. It's not just the warmth of the sun that we get, but we get this beautiful imagery every night at, at bedtime and every time that the sun comes up. And that's because God's good. He wants to please uh, his people. And God is the one who invented taste for food, which I think is a great idea. You know, I think we could have got our nourishment anyway. I think we could have, you know, paused in our day and eaten a, a, like a thing of cardboard. And that would have nourished our bodies, whatever. But God was like, no, food should taste good. And there should be different flavors and different kinds of people will like different kinds of food. And that's because God is good. And, and God made it that way. God thought up of sex, and I, I think that's a good idea. I like uh, that idea, and he designed it in such a way that, you know, kids could have probably come about any way, but God said that the way they will come about binds those two people who enjoy that experience in a way that's enjoyable, and it's right, and it's good, and so God is the creator of everything good. He designed it for our enjoyment. He wants us to honestly have pleasures forevermore. Our problem becomes... When we take anything that is right, it's good, it, it's pleasing, and we make that an ultimate thing. We make that something that we're going uh, to worship. So like kids, kids are great, kids are awesome, but when we give them anything and everything they want, everything they demand of us, ultimately what can happen is we can destroy them and ourselves in the process. They make really lousy gods. Sex is good, but when sex is the ultimate pursuit of our lives, sex can destroy you. Food, food also cannot be your God, but we'll wrap our schedules around it. We'll do it, it, so strenuous things as to put it on a pedestal and, and worship food. And as silly as that sounds, you can worship the absence of food. I'm going to remove it in such a way, and now food has become your God. And you can insert anything that's good there, exercise, work, hobbies, all good things. But when they become ultimate things, ultimately, they can destroy you. And so said this way, God is good, but good is not God. Does that make sense? God is good, but, but good does not equal God. And if you recall in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God. They had ultimate intimacy. They had connection with God. They, they had this relationship that was deep and intimate, and God made them to be pure. Or you could say God made them innocent. He made them naked, and their nakedness caused no shame. They were uh, as pure as could be. They were fully exposed in that exposure, that transparency. It, it caused no shame, no guilt, no sin. It was right the way that God designed it. And the moment where things went south was when Eve in the garden meets the deceiver, meets the tempter, meets Satan. And listen, Satan wants to destroy your thoughts. Satan wants to destroy your intimacy with God. And what Satan does is convinces Eve that you won't surely die if you eat the fruit. If you eat the fruit that God commanded you not to eat, you won't die. You'll just be like God. Genesis 3 verse 4 it says, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open. And soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You won't die is not a true statement. See, because that's not what God said. 
And so Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 8, think about things that are true. So that in the midst of deception, in the midst when this world turns on you, or when you think it and look at something and you think, oh, that's not true, you'll know because you've dwelled upon things that are true and right and honorable and pure. And so Paul says, I, I promise it can give you assurance in the midst of temptation and distractions. And then Satan goes on to say, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And you know the problem with that statement? That was true. So let me say it another way for, for Satan in this way. Eve, you eat of this fruit and your innocence will be destroyed. You will no longer be pure with right motives, right intentions, pursuing truth and honoring God. Nope, you'll know what it's like to dishonor God. What being and feeling dirty and pure causes, you will no longer be innocent and pure. Genesis 3 verse 6 says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and here's what I think that looks like. Look around all this garden. God says, all this food is available for you, and that's true. And Eve simply said, look at this fruit. It looks like all the other food. It looks good to eat and pleasing to the eye. I bet I'll enjoy that. I, I bet that has flavors I've never experienced before. I bet that will please me. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. Well, let's give Eve the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she thought this could be a new way to worship God. I'll be like him knowing his thoughts and desires. I'll be like him. And so she ate the fruit. Do you see what happened though? She took her eyes off that which was true. And like Daniel talked about last week, she allowed an influencer who did not bring facts to alter how she viewed life. And that deception caused her to be foolish and the way I define foolishness is simply this. Uh, whenever you're staring down a road and you know that the, the road you're about to take could lead to your destruction and yet you choose to go down that road anyway, that's foolishness. And Genesis 3 verse 6 goes on to say, then she gave to some to her husband who was with her, had every potential and opportunity to stop her, and he ate some, he didn't have to, and at that moment their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They suddenly felt shame over their actions. This is a new emotion. This is completely different than anything they've ever experienced before. And in that moment, their eyes were open and they experienced what evil is. And God wants what's best for you. God wants what's right and true for you. And sometimes the less we know about things, or you could say the more innocent and pure we are about things, we think, oh, that could be pleasing that could be a new experience that I find so enjoyable. The more innocent you can be of things, sometimes the better off you are. Because God says, listen, there is truth. There are good things, and I want you to enjoy them, but goodness is not God. And we twist the good that God created until it's something different. Until it isn't right anymore, it's wrong. And we stand on the other side of that wrongness being comfortable and, and, and almost like, well, this is just kind of normal place. This is just how, how I am, except that it's wrong and causes shame and guilt. And that's not how God designed things. Do you see what happened to our thought process? We began to dwell on that which was selfish, indulgent, on that which would please me. And that was never God's desire. Paul Tripp says this, you will live in awe of what you credit with blessing in your life. You will worship whatever it is that you think has produced what you celebrate. And God's desire would be that you worship him, the creator of all things. 
that you would allow him to sustain you. But what we tend to do is, is we get the deception from Satan. We think that this, whatever that pleasure is, whatever it was that satisfied us momentarily, can be the pedestal that we begin to worship and we pursue that. C.S. Lewis kind of says it this way. He writes a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's a book written in the perspective of a demon talking to a demon about how to distract us from intimacy with God. And he says, here's the formula. An increasing craving for a diminishing pleasure is the formula to get us away from intimacy with God. Just simply give them something that will please them, that that pleasure will be diminishing is a great formula. And culture, society, they aren't helping fuel our thoughts towards what is right and pure. We live in a world that goes a mile a minute and everything is set on self-indulgence. Do what you want, when you want, because you're only young. You only live once. And so in the opening sections of the book of Romans, God gave them over to their depravity. God gave them over to the lust of the flesh, the things that they wanted to do, knowing full well that that will not satisfy you. That's not true. It's not right. And what happened is uh, we know that sometimes if I go down this road, though it might be hard, it will sustain me. It is what's right and true. And X, Y, and Z, whatever that is, will be the right way to respond. But we take that truth and we twist it. We said, well, it's probably fine if I step over here for, for, for just a moment. We twist it in such a way that it makes it acceptable to us. You see, the fruit looked like other fruit in the garden to Eve. It seemed to be enjoyable, and I'll be like God. And we twist it in such a way that I want that. And so we take what we know we ought not. We pursue what is wrong. We fix our eyes. We dwell upon and think that this temporarily satisfying thing will actually fulfill us, but that's the law of diminishing returns. You know, I, I know if I do this for a long time, that wouldn't be healthy. If I kept down this road, that could actually be destructive, but this is my cheat day. And so we convince ourselves that it's okay if I just cheat every once in a while, and that can bleed over into other areas of our life, and all that wrong thinking doesn't get rid of the snake in our thoughts. Simply allows us to dwell upon what we think is wrong and impure, and little by little we transform that into what's normal and commonplace. It's almost true and right, and yet it leaves us with a different thinking. But it's just a season. In Romans 1.22, it says this, Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people or animals or birds and reptiles. So God abandoned them to whatever their shameful thoughts and heart's desires were. As a result, they did violent, degrading things. Or, or you could say they did things that were wrong and impure, things that do not promote truth and honor God. Uh, vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And in the same way, shame crept into the garden and guilt flooded their lives and God's plan for them to be pure changed. God's plan for you gets altered when you pursue that which will please you. And so what happens is, is we uh, believe the lie that Satan gives us. But God keeps his promises. And so God said, if you eat from that fruit, you will die. And they do. Adam and Eve died to their old ways, died to the old, the customs that God said would be true. Uh, they used to be naked and unashamed. But from that moment on, all of us, when we are naked before anybody that we are not devoted to, it causes shame. 
They were abandoned from the garden and there were penalties for their actions just like you and I. God says, hey, here is a better way. This is the best way. Fix your thoughts. Dwell upon what is true and honorable. Think about what is right and pure. And we twist that. We dwell upon what will please me and what I want to do. And God says, okay, you can do that. You're free. But here's what I want you to know. That is not my plan. There's a better way. And we twist that and we dwell upon that and we try to please ourselves, and ultimately it leads to our destruction. Listen to this next verse. This totally changed my thinking a little bit. It's kind of a little different uh, avenue. But James 4 verse 17 says this. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. That just changed my thinking in a different way. Did you know that it is actually sinful to know that you should help someone, to know that you should pray for someone, to know that you have resources, you have finances, you have talents available to you that could better glorify, promote, and uplift the kingdom of God and choose to not utilize them, not do the good that you know you ought to do. That's sinful. If you will dwell on what is just, what brings justice, what is right, what is pure. If you'll think about things that are true and honorable, your actions will flow from that. Your actions will actually flow out of that. And the last thing that I want to leave you with is if you get dirt on something or in something, let's say you get a a cup of water, it gets dirt in it. Is it pure anymore? No, it's not, right? It's not pure. But can it be pure again? Yeah, We can filter that down nowadays in such a way that you can take some vile water and you can filter it down in such a way that it's usable and drinkable again. And we know that if we get dirt on our hands, on our body, that we can wash that dirt away and that we can be clean again. And God says the same is true for you. You too can be clean again. So let's let's just take uh, somebody's name. It could be it could be anybody, okay? And I'm sorry if if this is your name, but it's just for an example's sake. But Let's just take, for example, like Daniel. And I'm sorry if that's your name, so like Daniel Barry, and uh, we can just take, that could be anybody's name, but we take that, and we know he is a wretched sinner, right? But he didn't start out that way. He started out to be pure like us, and then he does something like, we'll just say for an example, like he touches the outlets on the wall when his mom tells him not to. And that's just an example. It may not be real. But uh, that puts a blemish on his life. He is no longer right. He is no longer pure. He is now stained. And he is a sinner. And we know that sin must be atoned for. There is a price for our sin. And the penalty for our sin, the wage for our sin, is death. And so even that sin separates us from God. But we do other things, right? Uh, We lie, we cheat, we make little gods that we feel like will please us and satisfy us and we worship them. We go in and out of obedience and rebellion. And ultimately, Jesus stepped in. He said, I'll take that. I'll take all that. I'll satisfy that debt. Daniel was a sinner, but when you stand before the presence of God, you can receive me and I can cleanse you. I can make you pure again. And Daniel was a sinner, but now Daniel is pure And even those of you who are far off, who have bathed in impurity, those of us who have made something that was good our God, God created a way for us to be pure again, to be back in a right relationship with him. Here's what you need to do. If you're on a road that is leading you further away from God's heart for you, a road that might not be true or right, it might might not be pure or honorable, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. 
And we're going to take the, the idea of this series to dwell upon good things. And we're going to add that to the definition of this word. So we're going to change the definition just for this series. So repent means to rethink the way you think about everything. Just rethink how you think about everything. Maybe you need to rethink your hobbies. Rethink your marriage or, or parts of your marriage vows. How can you better honor each other? Maybe you need to rethink your Thursday, Friday nightlife. Maybe you need to rethink the future plans, how you spend your finances, your hopes and your dreams. You, you need to rethink your parenting. You need to rethink the way you think about everything. And to repent truly means to turn away from your current actions that are leading you away from God's heart and reboot the system to begin to dwell upon that which is true again. Think about things that are factual that will lead you closer to God's heart. And those facts, as you put them into motion, become right and pure. If you have never accepted Jesus to be the Lord of your life, he's waiting for you. With open arms, he wants to receive you. All you have to do, you simply need to confess, Jesus is Lord. And in the midst of that confession, he allows you to be a follower. He allows a cleansing process for you. He says, I'll take your debt. And if you have not followed that confession with baptism, a way to symbolize cleansliness and purity, a way to celebrate that I want to follow after God, then we want to challenge you. Uh, we have numerous times where we say there's a, a baptism Sunday that we want people to come together and, and celebrate as the family of God as a new person comes to find and follow Jesus. So if that's you this morning, there's a connect card out in front of you. All you have to do is, is pull that out, put your name on it, and there's a, a part on there that says, I want to know more about baptism. We'd like to meet with you and pray with you, pray for you. Philippians 4 verse 8 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts or dwell on what is true and honorable. Think about what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. So here's your Monday morning application. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from the course of this series, kind of put the steps and the things together. Everything you know to be true about Jesus, fix your thoughts on that. Dwell on him. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Put the pieces together. If you don't, you're only fooling yourself. So the Monday morning application is this. Last week, Daniel said, dwell upon that which is true. Be selective with what you dwell upon. This week's Monday morning application is be intentional with what you do. Practice doing the right thing. And I've been doing this lately. My kids have been telling me, Dad, slow down. Dad, slow down. And so I've been trying to slow down and be obedient to the speed limit. And that's a simple thing, but it's humbling and frustrating. It may not happen as much as it should. It produces patience, but you can do this too. You can do what you know is right the right thing to do. You can practice more and more of what you know brings glory to God. Things you've done in the past that you know bring glory to God, do more of that. You know, next weekend you can run the IJM with us and you say, I can't. You can. You simply have to put your feet in front of the other and just do it. If you see the good that you ought to be doing, do it. Here, here's what I also know. Every once in a while, I, I go on these kicks where I want to be more healthy and, and I want to exercise more. And here's what I know to be true. If I don't think right, I won't do right. 
I, I know if I don't curb my desire for a midnight snack, that I can wreck my entire day by giving in to that craving, and it's true of you too. So don't just be intentional with what you do, but when you do it. So think about your life. Think about your weaknesses. When are you weak? What time of day are you weak? When is the most prone activity that you will listen to deception and twist it till it's true? Think about your life and account for that. Gain accountability partners who can speak into the midst of your situation and and tell you what is true and what's honorable and what pleases God. Be intentional about what you allow into your brain. If it isn't pure, if it's immoral, dirty, or will bring shame, stop. Practice thinking about what is pure. Filter what you watch. Filter what you say. Filter how you live. And if you need to change your habits, if you need to change the things, do it. Be intentional about how you live. Sow a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. And if you can truly become intentional about how you think, then practicing your thoughts will not be as complicated as you think. Pretty soon those thoughts become commonplace. You are dwelling more and more on what is true. It adjusts our heart and our character follows. It adjusts our desire and we begin to desire new things, things that are pure and obedient. It puts us on a path towards really What God says is the better way, worshiping him. And Jesus knew this. He he knew his time had come and the hour was at hand. And, And in the midst of the garden, Jesus was about to do what he had been telling his disciples. Listen, I'm going to have to go away. But they had no clue. They had no clue. Jesus was going to be betrayed. He was going to suffer for the sins of humanity. And there in the garden, praying with his disciples, Jesus was dwelling upon what needed to take place. So much so that the capillaries on his forehead began to burst forth and he was sweating drops of blood. He was in deep thought over doing what he knows was the right thing. The weight of the world hanging upon the precious moments of thought in that garden on that night, Jesus would be handed over. They would say he was guilty and he would be hung on a cross till he was dead. We just celebrated the fact that God was able to speak into that death and raise his son back to life. And just like Adam and Eve ushered in for humanity, the sin, and sin produces death, death needs an answer. Jesus came and through his one actions of surrender, he provided a means by which we can be atoned if you'll receive him. So once a month at Calvary, here's what we try to remember. We try to remember that high price that he paid for our freedom, our eternity. He satisfied my debt to sin. So we take a piece of bread. And that bread resembles uh, Christ's body broken for us. We share in that together. And we take a, a cup of juice to remind us that God poured out his blood for the forgiveness of sins so that we could be made pure again. When we do this, we announce, we proclaim, we believe you are God. The opportunity to worship is for those who believe. And, and if you don't believe, that's Okay. We respect that. In fact, we want you to keep coming and trying to figure out this whole God thing. Try to figure out how Jesus fits into your life, if Jesus fits into your life. But if you don't believe, we'd ask that you respect this time of worship for those who do and not participate. For those of you who will remember his death, burial, and resurrection. There's four stations that will be around uh, the arena, and there's one station in the back that will be a gluten-free station. What we would ask is that your thoughts beyond his grace that's sufficient for you. 
your thoughts be on what is true and honorable. And as you join together in this way to reflect on him, that you would worship the creator of all things. Dearly Father, Lord, you are good. And I just cannot wrap my mind around how you would die for me. But when I was weak, you made me strong. You sent your one and only son to satisfy my debt so that I could have everlasting life. And today, Lord, we want to honor that. We want to remember your death. And we want to announce and proclaim that I want you to sit on the throne of my life. I want your truths to be true for me. And I want my actions to be right and pure. And so, Lord, we remember that you satisfied our debt. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. During the course of this next song, you can go at any point as you want to worship.